0: Listen to NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app today. Trust me, future you will thank you.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. you've walked this path many times before it's a chance to think especially about your future how will you turn your retirement dreams into reality Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your Modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America, touching lives, securing futures. (laughs) You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss spirit podcast with Ben Garrett and David Johnson.
0: This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Ben on Twitter. He's David Johnson at Rebels247. We both write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com. It's an affiliate of 247 Sports. Today's guest on Talk of Champions is no one. Why? Because it's a mailbag edition of Talk of Champions. But by back by popular demand is the night is dark and full of spoilers. That'll be tacked on at the end of the podcast. David and I are going to run through all the old Miss questions, knock out all the old Miss topics, and then once we get to Game of Thrones – If you have no interest in it, which David doesn't, you can just tune out. But if you want to listen to some Game of Thrones action with Maester Daniel, 40 minutes of Game of Thrones talk tacked on to this one-hour edition of Talk of Champions. Dave, what's up, man?
1: Wow.
2: (laughs) Yeah, 40 minutes of uh, Game of Thrones.
0: Yeah, I was planning to do 20, but once Maester Daniel and I got talking, it just snowballed.
2: I may get a wild hair and and try to binge watch some Game of Thrones. I've got I've got a kid, a daughter who watches it. Tells me I would enjoy it. I've never mm-hmm. seen it. I just got through binge watching Turn. Uh, never Washington. I heard of that. Spies.
0: What's, what's that. What's that? What's that?
2: What's that? Uh, it was an American Revolution uh, documentary kind of drama docu drama mm-hmm. of George Washington mm-hmm. spiring. Are you snoring on me? Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, I sure. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Really, really enjoyed it. Anyway, let's proceed. I just got done watching,
0: binge-watching my third rewatch of The Wonder Years, and as mad as I've ever been about the finale of The Wonder Years, did you ever watch that one?
2: Yes, yes, yes. Okay, good. Okay, so now I'm more in your... Like in 1985.
0: Yeah, Well, it's 93, but okay. I think it lasted from 89 to like 93 or 94, 95.
2: Okay. Okay,
0: okay. Don't stretch it. You have a tendency to get me in trouble with your hyperbole so let's not let's not do that mailbag edition of talk of champions if you haven't already please subscribe rate review talk of champions in itunes we're also available on soundcloud just simply search talk of champions hopefully going to have rebel sports radio back as a possible distribution partner for talk of champions so be on the lookout for that but like i mentioned we both write for the old miss spirit omspirit.com the uh, an affiliate of 247 sports and the best source your best source for old miss athletics news The podcast brought to you by El Agave Mexican Grill, the best Tex-Mex in town. And if you live in Oxford or New Albany, your stop is El Agave Mexican Grill for the best food, drinks, and atmosphere. At El Agave, there's top-shelf Mexican food in a cantina at both locations. And with a warm and inviting atmosphere, you and your family can make yourself at home. It's the best Mexican food around that starts with high-quality ingredients and careful preparation. The kitchen gets busy early every morning because El Agave starts from scratch every day, making fresh salsa, Boiling chilies for their homemade red and green chili dishes, slow cooking their lean cuts of beef and pork, and then pouring the broth off into their homemade sauces. There's nothing like having a full house of folks over for a great Mexican fiesta, so come over to El Agave in Oxford and or New Albany, 2305 West Jackson Avenue in Oxford, 650 Park Plaza in New Albany. You won't find better Mexican food or margaritas anywhere else. Try the street tacos. That's my favorite. Stay for the food and the experience. El Agave Mexican Grill. The podcast also brought to you by Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. It's 2019, the new year, it's here. And what better way to start off the new year than with a new car, truck, or Jeep? They're loaded up with Jeep Wranglers, Grand Cherokees, and Cherokees all priced to move right now. So make sure you're taking advantage of this unique opportunity with Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. But simply buying a new car is not the only service that Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram provides. If you're having some car trouble, if you need some advice, go visit them. Brian, Mason, ask for them. Tell them Talk of Champions sent you, and they're going to make sure that you're taken care of. Addressing each of your needs with the utmost respect care and attention to detail you can give them a call at 662-234-8000 that's 662-234-8000 or stop by and see them in person at 2201 east university avenue that's just past kroger alan samuels let's be friends first question is appropriate we're two weeks away i think from the signing day period of february is that where we're at 13 days Uh, 13 days and the first question comes from todd dyson
1: The, the mail's here. You've got mail. Special mail for you. This is a letter to Hollywood saying, keep it up. Movies are great.
0: Do you think that the hashtag Mississippi made recruiting was a complete bust? Considering the state was loaded for the 2019 <laughs> class and almost basically whiffed on most of them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Considering, uh, probably what its original intention meant. In other words, mop up on what was a a generational-type talent year in the state of Mississippi. Ole Miss did not do that. Even though there are more than a dozen commitment signees in the Rebels 2019 class, uh, when you look at that top 20 inside the state, things did not break Ole Miss's way. Uh, yes, Mississippi made uh, – let's just say it was not uh, – it did not fulfill its mission as the mantra of this 2019 recruiting cycle.
0: Jim, shoot. Do you think on Ely signs with Ole Miss? And who else do
2: you think signs with Ole Miss in February? Oh, my goodness. Um, as far as Ely goes, look, I, I don't know. And anybody that tells you right now they do know that he's going to sign with Ole Miss or he's going to sign with Clemson, they're hedging their bets. Uh, but how many times do we have to say it doesn't matter? I, I, that's that's the deal right now. I, I mean, with Jerry on Ely, look, it's going to be a big splash come February sixth, wherever he signs, whether it be Ole Miss, whether it be Clemson. Do not rule out Mississippi State either. Um, you know, I don't think he'd be wise to do that at this point, but if you're asking me if I know where he's going to sign Jim, I don't know where he's going to sign. Um, I don't have a real good feel for it, to be honest with you. Maybe I'll have a better feel on Sunday when we talk to Jerry on, if he's willing to talk to the media as he exits the inn at Ole Miss after his weekend official visit. But, uh, a- at this point, To be quite honest with you, I mean, everybody's guessing right now. I'm not sure Jerry Unhealy knows where he's going to sign right now. Uh, So far be it from me to claim that I do. Uh, As far as anybody else in that class... Uh, Look, I think they're going to get Jonathan Mingo. I think he's going to stay in this class. I know there's some concern because his high school quarterback 2020 Will Rogers committed to Mississippi State earlier this week. Uh, and, And I think rightfully so. I understand they're very close to one another. And that's something that has to factor. But I don't think that's going to be the overriding factor in the end. I think uh, Jonathan Mingo has a really, really good relationship with Jacob Peeler. I think Jacob Peeler and Rich Rodriguez are going to make Jonathan Mingo understand this weekend while he's in Oxford on his official visit that uh, he is going to be a very vital, critical, important part of this Ole Miss offense moving ahead. I think he stays in the class. Uh, Lakia Henry, the linebacker, Juco linebacker out of Dodge City Cancers, I still think Ole Miss has a really good shot with him. I talked to Lakia on Tuesday of this week, and uh, we got to just just kind of hamming it up a little bit, talking about his mom who lives out in Vidalia, Georgia. The Game and, of Thrones, the one uh, you. Uh, uh, no, we didn't talk about that. But 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 listen, he did confide in me that mom Probably like him closer to home. Closer to home is Oxford in comparison to Fayetteville, Arkansas, or Austin, Texas. So I think there's a chance there. Just a vibe here on John Rice Plumley. Look, I think I think Ole Miss is in a good spot for him. I really and truly do. Uh, I think he's tailor made to be a future Rich Rodriguez offense quarterback. Um, you know there are a lot of factors to consider. There he he's he's stayed true to his commitment to Georgia. He obviously likes Kirby Smart and likes what they're telling him, but he is taking visits. So you know those three guys I feel pretty good about. We talked about Ely, Amante Spivey, the running back out of uh, Phoenix City, Alabama. He'll be on campus this weekend as well. And I know we're getting into a recruiting pitch and more than answering Jim's question there, but uh, I like Ole Miss's chances on Spivey too. There's a reason he's coming to visit Ole Miss this weekend, so I think he's okay right there. Darius Cox I don't feel real good about simply because I think Auburn wants him uh, he's a mobile Alabama kid and I think he probably ends up at Auburn but uh, nevertheless I hope that answered your question Jim. Joey Hawkins seems like
0: Auburn is recruiting extremely well in Mississippi this year why such success from a school that's
2: coach is on the hot seat I can answer
0: that one Marcus Woodson right?
2: Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. Marcus Woodson, the former Ole Miss Rebel, has turned into an ace recruiter for the Auburn Tigers. For a number of reasons, I'll say. Yeah, yeah, there's – okay. Listen, and this isn't Marcus (laughs) Woodson's first go-around in recruiting the old stomping grounds of Mississippi. He did it for the Memphis Tigers too. So he had some connections when he went to that Auburn staff. He's using them well, very well plugged in down on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. So, uh, And and look, Auburn is Auburn. Uh, You know, they're a – traditional sec power and uh you know they're doing well in the state of mississippi while old miss has had its issues to deal with
0: we're playing the hits apparently on this mailbag edition of talk of champions bill causey you'll love this one just prepare yourself you're going to love this all right Is anything happening with chester graves the former commit <laughs> and Tom juco prospect he'd be a nice addition to the class i feel like we get a chester graves question oh. every time we've done a mailbag for the last two months
2: It's weekly, and it pops up on the boards, too. I mean, I'm not sure Ole Miss fans could pick Chester Graves out of a two-person lineup, but, man, oh, man, the questions that come in about him. He's like Bigfoot at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody maybe saw him, but, you know, nobody's got any real footage of him. Uh, Look, I I mean, I think that boat sailed when he'd never made it to Mississippi for junior college, okay? And, um, honestly, he's not a name that, that we've heard tossed around. Uh, you know, I, Chester Graves, I think you can say, is, uh, is gone. It's just not happening, folks.
0: I hope that this is the last Chester Graves question. I feel like it won't be. Until Chester Graves enrolls at another school, that's always going to be the possibility for Ole Miss, for some.
2: Well, well, Chester can't come to Ole Miss because his reputation would be impossible to live up to. I mean, the guy would have to go out and, and be All-American right off the bat uh, to live up to his recruiting reputation. Without a doubt. Yeah. At
0: this point, his recruiting reputation far exceeds any possible impact he could have at Ole Miss. There's nothing he could do to ever meet that expectation, right? Uh,
2: I I would have to agree. Chester Graves is (laughs) gone.
0: He's gone, man.
2: He's gone. Chester's gone. gone.
0: Tyler Keith, we spoke of Bigfoot, or I did.
2: Is Bigfoot real? If so, what is it? Are you going to answer any questions, or, or do I have to fill the Bigfoot questions too? Bigfoot is not real. He is not real. I, I don't think Bigfoot's real. No. Look, uh, man has pretty much been to the four corners of the earth, and nobody's brought back a, a, right. a Bigfoot uh, body yet. Uh, now, so, now, UFOs are real. Well, yeah. There, there's no doubt about UFOs being real. And the, um, and there is,
0: there is life outside of earth. There's no way you can convince me that— of the millions and millions of galaxies and universes out there that there's, that we're the only life.
2: Oh, I I agree with that as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I would like to meet them, but yeah.
2: Now that we've got Bill Nye, the science guy questions out of the way, let's, (laughs) let's move on. Well, Tyler Keith isn't done. What happened to Amelia Earhart? (laughs) Hey, that was on TV last night. Yeah. Uh, She was, uh, she was captured by a bunch of natives on the Marshall Islands. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah are you is this real? yeah, it was part of what I saw last night, yeah, it was all hypothetical, but uh, I, I, th- I thought
0: that, that she and her navigator just the plane crash in the Pacific Ocean.
2: Well, see, they found found. parts of the plane uh, near the Marshall Islands, some little islands off of the Marshall Islands, so some some semi-Marshall Islands, if you will. Uh Uh, And uh, they think that's part of the wreckage of her plane. And then some of the great-grandchildren of the aborigines in the area tell tales about Amelia Earhart's plane crashing and being taken away by natives on a barge.
0: But there's no way that Amelia survived the crash, though.
2: Well, I mean, she hasn't shown up on the Today Show. So she's probably I not just meant
0: on the. Oh, God. Okay. Oh. Tyler Keith, what happens first? These mysteries will be solved or Ole Miss successfully recruits Memphis in football?
2: <laughs> so Tyler was driving towards something the yeah, whole time yeah. there. Uh, look, uh, Memphis has a really good 2020 class. Um, I'm not saying Ole Miss is going to be uber successful inside the city of memphis but uh there's plenty of opportunity for the rebels to rectify things uh in the greater memphis area with this 2020 class i mean there are literally i would say 25 to 30 power five players in the greater memphis area memphis and let's just say you know you're encompassing desoto county mississippi on out to collierville and on northward there but uh they're players up there they've got an opportunity to to do well up there in the 2020 cycle
0: who is the new primary recruiter of Memphis? Is it John Sumrall now that moe has gone?
2: You know, really and truly, they're not doing area stuff so much. Uh, th- I think they're they're more weighing into personalities and which coach would match up better with which recruit and in which situation right there. So in the past where, uh, you know, and, and really it wasn't this way for the last uh, year or so of his tenure at Ole Miss, you know, where Maurice Harris took so much grief about Memphis. And I, I, I for one, think... Uh, unjustifiably so, uh, you know, it's more of a player who matches up better with him situation. So there's not going to be one guy that you're going to go, Hey, you're in charge of Memphis. Let's see how we do there.
0: Here's an Ole Miss basketball question. So yes, I will finally be answering a question, David. Forrest Crumby, do you think Kermit Davis should consider leaning on Luis Rodriguez and Zach Naylor for just a few more minutes to give depth? Naylor, no. But Luis Rodriguez, yes, that's actually going to happen. I sat down on Thursday with Kermit Davis. I've been working on this whole week a long-form story in regards to Kermit Davis and the hiring process and all this stuff. Look for it on Monday. It took a lot of interviewing <laughs> and a lot of digging. Hopefully you like it. But as a part of that process and interviewing kermit for the story we talked about some general basketball stuff and one of the things he mentioned was he is going to try to play luis every single game from here on out that he's got to see what he's got there and looking at Ole miss's complete lack of depth he's forcing himself he's got to see what luis has but zach naylor at this point i don't think there's much he can do to bring value to the floor Uh, Neither can Brian Hallams. If anybody had a question about Brian Hallams, I think that was answered against Alabama when he got some playing time and you see what the problem is with Brian Hallams. So those guys can't really offer you much of anything, but Luis Rodriguez can, especially as a a rebounder. That's one thing that Kermit Davis cited immediately when we talked about it on Thursday was his abilities as a rebounder to get tough rebounds. If you look at Ole Miss as an offensive rebounding team, they're one of the very worst in college basketball. Dominic Olenicek leads the team with 23 offensive rebounds. Bruce, I think, has 20. And then Devontae Shuler is right there on their heels at 18. Actually, but I think a couple of weeks ago, Devontae led the team in offensive rebounds. So Dom and Bruce have gotten a little bit better, but not really. They're still a porous offensive rebounding team one of the worst in college basketball. And that hurts you, and that comes home to roost as it has the last couple of weeks as Ole Miss and Devontae Shuler being hurt, all this thing. They're struggling a little bit. It feels like it's teetering a little bit. I'm sure there'll be questions about the season, but what that means is if you can get a valuable rebounder on the floor like Luis Rodriguez, or at least what you think can be a valuable rebounder, then you need to do that, and Kermit Davis is certainly going to try that moving forward starting Saturday against Iowa State. Jack, at Jack Hackett how is Kentrell Lockett doing? Glad you asked. I actually visited with him on Sunday. Went and saw him in Olive Branch. He, his wife, and two children are living over there. He's working as a manager at Nukes. She is a lawyer, and they're living free and having a good time. I, I, I'm actually the godfather of his son Bo, who is a massive child already. Like he's going to be a first round NFL draft pick. It looked like if, if early indications of a six month old are anything right now, that kid is destined to be a monster of a defensive lineman. And his gift from me as his godfather for his christening was a custom-made number 40 Ole Miss jersey with Lockett Jr. on the back. So Control's doing great. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'll tell him that you asked asked about him, Jack. I'll let him know. Cole Woods, would it be in Ole Miss's best interest to have Carl Gindle starting in center field and keep Olenek in right? I like the idea because Carl Gindle can provide something at the top of the lineup potentially that Ole Miss didn't really have last year, though Gray field incompetently. He's not a traditional leadoff hitter. Um, Carl's got that speed contact aspect to him some good on base but the one thing that Ole Miss will need to do is find ways to fit Tim Elko, Chase Cockrell, Michael Fitzsimmons into the lineup in some way so if Chase Cockrell's and Michael Fitzsimmons really can't play anywhere in the field and Tim Elko can play some right so it depends on who what you value more if you value defense then I think Carl playing center field makes a lot of sense. But if you value that offense, and Ole Miss had such a dynamic offense last year, Tim Elko might be able to bring you a little bit more pop, and you might want to put him in right field, especially if Ryan Olenek can handle center. So that'll be answered over the next couple of weeks. Preston Broom, okay, here's one for you, David, since you made the bold prediction that Ole Miss would be an NCAA tournament team. Yeah. If you had a $1,000, I'm sorry, if you had $1,000 to bet, which would you put your money on? Ole Miss making the NCAA <laughs> tournament or the NIT?
2: Yeah, I'm still sticking with the NCAA tournament thing. Although I think it's going to be razor thin, uh, and I wouldn't have said that a week ago. But in light of Devontae Shuler and um, you know the the prognosis on him the rest of the year and what he can contribute to that lineup. Uh, I I think it's going to be close, Ben. I really and truly do on what they have to do to get into the NCAAs. And obviously Saturday morning's game with Iowa State, that's going to be a big uh, determining factor probably at the end of the line. So uh, I'm still going with the NCAA tournament. I think they get in razor thin margin. What happened Saturday. Boy, that's, boy. that's what leads to my, to my answer. What,
0: just make a prediction. What, what happened Saturday? Uh, yeah, if they I, win I, Saturday, I would put that $1,000 bet on them making the NCAA tournament. Here's the problem. I'm yeah. actually writing a story about this, and you and I have talked about it. Ole Miss's strength of schedule is in the 240s, I think, right now, at least as we're recording. Back in 2013, they had 23 wins going to the SEC tournament, but their strength of schedule was in the 200s. They won 12 games in the SEC. They had to win that tournament. To get in, Now, the selection committee said that even before the championship Sunday game in which they won over Florida, they were in. So they at least had to win three, 26 wins to get into the NCAA tournament. South Carolina in 2014 won 24 games, 12 games in the SEC, and went to the NIT. Why? Their strength of schedule was bad. So what happened Saturday? Why is Saturday important? Well, almost right now in the net rankings, which are vitally important at this point, dropped after the loss to Alabama from 24th. To I think 38th or 32nd. I'm sorry, 32nd. Iowa State is 14th in the net rankings. Iowa State is a lock right now for the NCAA tournament. Out of league wins are few and far between from here on out. So, you get that win, you provide yourself more legroom going forward to lose some games in the conference. Losing at Alabama is not all that bad. The way in which they lost was not good, but. All can be forgiven, and all can be rectified, and you continue to stay on your track if you beat Iowa State on Saturday. But if you don't, it becomes really, really tough for me to see with Devontae Schuler being hurt, Blake Henson and K.J. Buffin showing signs of kind of hitting that freshman wall, as well as no rotational depth to speak of, to hang on. Not that they aren't capable, because they are. They've proven that much. But it's going to be hard, and that's why I would lean then – if they lose on
2: Saturday, to putting that $1,000 bet on the NIT. Yeah, a huge game Saturday. And, look, I know it's like middle of the year. It's not a conference game, but it, it it's kind of a playoff game or possibly even it's a play-in game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. is a big game, no doubt about it. You asked me how I thought it was going to go Saturday. I think it's a tough draw for Ole Miss. Uh, you know, they're going to need the crowd at the pavilion. They're going to need everything they've got if they're going to – Get past Iowa State on Saturday.
0: Yeah, Jared Robinson wants to know what should Ole Miss fans expect to see from the Iowa State basketball team. What are their strengths, weaknesses? I was told by one person associated with Ole Miss basketball that this is the best offense Ole Miss will play all year. Now they are not athletically—they're not like athletically crazy like Alabama and LSU. They don't have the same kind of length of Alabama and LSU. However, offensively, they have two NBA potential guards and they can really attack you with their front court. It's a really, really good offense. So that's what you can expect. You can expect one of the toughest tests Ole Miss has faced all year. And that's why at home, a non-league opportunity to build your resume, it's so important. And as you and Ole Miss fan, can do your part by showing up and cheering your brains out. They need you to be there. <laughs> I'm just telling you. It helps them. It it really does. I, I think that the crowd at Alabama, so much as Terrence Davis talked about how they were built for the road and they liked playing on the road, that crowd was really into the game. And I think as momentum started to kind of avalanche on Ole Miss, that played into it a little bit. I think it does play a tangible role in momentum and how teams perform and, and i'm t- speaking of the crowd and how engaged they are so if you can show up and pack the pavilion uh, for an important game on saturday you can have a real tangible effect on the game i think I, I really do think in basketball more than any other sport crowd and involvement and engagement matters more than any other sport
2: well it, it's a big one uh, you know You got home court advantage. You might as well use it because, like I said, you know, I know it's the middle of the year, not a conference game, but it in a lot of ways a play in, playoff type game Saturday.
0: J Rob, are there any additional football staff hirings slash firings? Who does Ole Miss have coming in for the official visit weekend? And who does Ole Miss have a legit shot to land? Does Mingo stay? You've touched on Mingo, you've touched on the legit shots to stay. What about additional staff hirings and firings and the official visit weekend? Who all is coming in?
2: Yeah, we've, we've kind of talked about who's coming in. you got Mingo coming in. Lakia Henry's coming in. John Rice Plumley's coming in. Jerry Ealy will be here. Amante Spivey will be here. Ladarius Cox. Cox is a D-tackle from Mobile. Also coming in, Patrick Lucas, who has already signed with Ole Miss, defensive tackle out of the state of Alabama. And Brandon Mack, the defensive end from the state of Alabama, who is committed to Ole Miss, that will sign with the Rebels on February 6th. That is your best. Quote unquote big official visit weekend. Eight guys on campus. Unless they pull something on us, sneak somebody in here on Friday that we don't know about right now, we're expecting eight prospects on campus Um, and again two of those guys already in the bag so you got six guys who are kind of in play now I know Mingo is committed to Ole Miss but probably going to visit Georgia next weekend and he just got back off on an official from Mississippi State so for all practical purposes we're going to say he's in play as well so six guys in play on campus all of them said to arrive Friday evening they'll start trickling in about three o'clock and uh, they'll all leave at, at different Hours Sunday morning. And of course, uh, Yancey Porter and I will be staked out in the what is supposed to be, I think, an 18 degree parking lot at the end of Ole Miss Sunday morning. But thankfully, I, I don't think anything wet or icy will be falling at that point. What about staff stuff? Staff stuff, yeah. I think you're going to uh, you're going to see some additions, perhaps uh, uh, analyst position uh, that would be filled. And uh, you know, you don't know for sure yet if the churn is over uh, with the with the current coaching staff. And and I would say keep one eye peeled on that in the days following the February six national signing date.
0: There's already a listing up on the Ole Miss official site for an there assistant is, coach.
2: yeah, yeah, there is, and. Um, yeah, it's not very uh, revealing in terms of what they're what they're looking for with that listing, but that gives you an idea. To answer your question, d- do we expect some additional staff churn? Absolutely.
0: I-, I would put the odds on probably one of Charles Clark or Jason Jones.
2: Well, yeah, you know, with Clark, he's got a history with Mike McIntyre. He worked for him at Colorado. I, I don't really think you're going to see Charles Clark go anywhere. So Jason Jones or Derek Nixon then? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm not going to sit here and uh, no, I'm, it's, uh, it's it's a podcast. Uh, this is what we do. Yeah, well, it, it's uh, just it's between just, you and me and thousands yeah, of people that yeah, listen. Yeah, correct, correct. I, I just think that uh, it would be wise to to expect there to be some more <laughs> turnover on the Ole Miss coaching staff. I, <sighs> I think that's that's the way to leave it right now.
0: It's so great to have stepped back a little bit and do more of long-form coverage or long-view coverage of Ole Miss football while you and Chuck do the day-to-day minutia, because I can talk about these things, and I have to be delicate, but you have beautifully towed the line of what you can say and what you cannot say, and I appreciate that.
2: Well, it's not just that. Look, if I knew a guy had, uh, you know... A foot and a half out the door instead of one foot out the door, I'd have no reservations. And, uh, and saying, look, we don't think this guy's going to be here. He's going to that, be that's gone. That's true
0: because you're the one that first reported that got no credit for it that Eric Swinney was leaving. So you, you it's, it's not, you're not beholden to anything. If a player or coach is leaving, you'll say so.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I, I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, you hate to say this when you're in our business, but we don't know for sure right now. And um, you know that's the responsible thing to say. Yeah, and I get to be irresponsible and just put names out there. Well, that's in your nature. Yeah. Oh. Oh. oh, oh, How my soul. (laughs) Don't don't take don't don't let that sink any deeper. No. How dare you? you. How dare you, sir? I I I hear hear you. Located at 1801 West Jackson Avenue, Suite D-103 in Oxford, Jackson Beer Company provides Oxford with handcrafted customer service and superior beer knowledge in the northern Mississippi market. Open seven days a week. Stop by and see Alan Jackson and the gang, Monday through Friday from 11 a.m. until 8 p.m., Friday and Saturday from 11 a.m. until 9 p.m., and on Sundays from noon until 5. At Jackson Beer Company, we help you handcraft your next event. Whether it's a wedding, Greek event, office party, fundraiser, or other special. Special event. We offer discounts when you purchase in bulk. At Jackson Beer Company, it is our vision to provide Oxford and northern Mississippi with handcrafted customer service and superior beer knowledge. We offer 10 different local and limited release beers on our growler station, so you will be able to enjoy draft beer at your home or at your next event. That's Jackson Beer Company, located at 1801 West Jackson Avenue, just off the Ole Miss campus in Oxford. Stop by and see them or give them a call today at 662 638 3642. Jackson Beer Company is a proud supporter of Ole Miss Athletics. All
0: right, next question. Let's Bobby go. Gray, do you did you ever figure out if the fish eating guy was a real story or not? I did not. Also, how bad is the Alabama loss mojo-wise? That's a great question. We don't know yet. How do they play on Saturday? That's not a cop-out either. If you look at the losses that they had, they always bounced back. When they lost so poorly to Cincinnati, that's when they went on their uh, what was it, 10-game winning streak? And then they lose to LSU. They bounce back and play so well against Arkansas, even with Devontae Schuler hobbled. So Alabama was ugly, no question about it. I don't think you can determine mojo and momentum until you see how they play on Saturday. Um, one thing I will say is how they practice is usually the ter- determinant of how they're going to play come game day. And and that sounds so cliche, but it's held so true this year for this Ole Miss team. Every time Kerman Davis has come out and said, you know, I've really had to fight them in practice the last couple of days. That's led to a poor performance. He had to fight them for a couple of days uh, going into Alabama. They didn't play well. Uh, how they practiced this week. And I haven't gotten any practice report um, feedback yet. I'll try to get that. Um, if they had a really good practice week, I expect them to play well. I expect them to, to go out there and put on a good show. Will that be enough? I don't know. But that that's really been the test of whether or not Ole Miss is going to play well, whether or not they practice well. And they did not practice well leading up to Alabama. But this team has been resilient and it's bounced back. This is the first time where it's felt like it's kind of teetering towards danger, right? Where it's really kind of uh, on, that, on that thin line of whether or not they're going to bounce back just because of how ugly Alabama was. But if we're, we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt here, then you have to look at the body of work so far. And the body of work tells you they're going to bounce back. And uh, I would expect them to play well. Now, if they don't, danger, Will Robinson, danger. Tyler Fitch, over, under, four and a half years of Kermit Davis's tenure. I'm glad you asked. I'm going to say over. I'm not going to tell you why because I want you to read the story that will that will be posted by me on Monday, the story I mentioned earlier, leading up to the uh, hiring of Kermit Davis. It's a oral history of the Kermit Davis hiring process, the dates in which they interviewed people and – what all played into it from every single principal person involved. And the, one of the quotes in there will answer your question better than I can answer it right now. What would you
2: say, over under? Over, because I know what he told you.
0: You cheater. You over. Cheater. Hayden over. Tupman, what should fans expect from a Rich Rod-led offense with Matt Corral at the helm?
2: <laughs> I think it's going to be fun. I'll be honest with you. I, I mean, you're talking about, you know, Rodriguez, who is obviously not afraid to use his qu- Matt Corral, who um, plays the quarterback position uh, like a freaking throwback middle linebacker. I, I mean, when you have Corral's temperament, mentality, toughness, grit, whatever you want to call it, coupled with a guy – pulling the gears on this offense and Rodriguez, who's not afraid to let his quarterback stick it up in there and go get some yardage, man, I think it's going to be fun. I really and truly think it's going to be fun. You know, people people are, are talking about, well, Rodriguez is in the spread and, uh, you know, he likes to run the ball. So a lot of emphasis on the running back. But a lot of those yards in his offense is generated by the quarterback. So with Matt Corral in there, and we all got a little taste of Matt Corral in the Egg Bowl, right? Uh, you know, he's, a, he's, he's the kind of guy that he's going to get up in your face. He's going to get in your grill. Um, you know, he, he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, reminds me a little bit, you know, that some of you guys are old enough to, to remember of, you know, how John Forcade played the quarterback position. I think he's a better quarterback than John Forcade, better arm than John Forcade. And that's saying a lot because John Forcade was a pretty doggone good quarterback. But but that kind of grit, you know, that, that kind of guy who'll go out there and, uh, you know, he'll wipe the blood from his nose and, and, and go up to the line of scrimmage and do it again. I mean, I, I think it's going to be exciting to watch.
0: I really and truly do. You think it's fun when your quarterback sticks it up in there, huh? I think
2: uh, I, I, I think it I think it makes for a spectacle. I'll <laughs> say that much. And you're paying you're paying to be entertained when you buy that ticket. So uh, you know I I think it's going to be the uh, the greatest show on grass uh, this fall in the SEC. I'm not talking about you know the most successful show. I'm not saying that. Don't don't uh, don't don't mix up my words there. But I'm saying there's never going to be a dull moment with Rich Rodriguez calling the plays and Matt Corral being the guy out there directing the offense. I love how you sidestep that from a year
0: pro. Jamez, what video games are you playing right now? Well, I am playing NBA 2K. I'm a two-guard for the Oklahoma City Thunder, balling out right now. And I plan in free agency to sign with the Grizzlies and return the Grizzlies to glory and win a championship for... What is my adopted hometown? Uh, But the other one I just started finally is Red Dead Redemption. I'm excited. It took forever to download all the data, but that's what I'm playing. You like video games?
2: Uh, Spider Solitaire, man.
0: No. You you, you and I have talked about this. You like video games. I know you Listen,
2: I do. I do. I used to be in video games big time. I used to play NCAA football all the time until they outlawed it back in 2014. And uh, I I still play it. I still play
0: it on my PS3. You can actually download current
2: rosters for it. Really? Well, I've got a PlayStation and an Xbox. I'm looking around my office here. Uh, and uh, honestly, I haven't played in a long time, but I used to play uh, – I, I used to love the Medal of Honor stuff, the, the, the World War II stuff. You know, man, that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, I played NCAA football. Occasionally would play the Madden stuff. But you know what? I had a four-year-old about four years ago, and uh, that's right about the time that uh, I kind of edged away from uh, – from doing the extracurricular gaming. Now my son plays Xbox all the time. As a matter of fact, he was telling me the other day he's one of the top 3,000 players in the world on Madden. If that makes any sense, uh, per their rankings or whatever that. But that's supposed to be like really good. I'll take his word for it. Oh, yeah, that's, that's all I can do, because that's yeah,
0: all... I, I hate... I'm, I'm over Madden. This was the last time I'll bad, buy Madden for years. I just... I'm, I'm over all of it. What's your favorite game you ever played? Mine's The Last of Us. That's my favorite game ever. What's your favorite wow, game?
2: Oh, Medal of Honor. I mean, I used to love to get into that series, the different uh, levels that they had, the different games that they had. Uh, yeah, I'm a history buff, and you know some of that stuff was so realistic, I guess. I mean, I, I don't have an experience to compare it to, like maybe some of our listeners do, but... Um, but an engaging video game, nevertheless.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting, man. Because uh, like I said, I wasn't going to let you get away with not with dogging video games because I know you used to be. No, nah,
2: yeah, I used to. I used to. But I, I've got a four year old little girl now, so I'm I, honestly I'm playing with LOL dolls. Uh, you know what those are? I oh, know. I know all about LOL surprise dolls. <laughs> LOL surprise dolls. They come in these big plastic eggs, right? And and you unwrap them, and you're buying it, and you don't even know what's in it. You don't have, you know. There are and there they are, literally play with it for fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes, and then but the next time you're you're you're, you're in the store, they've got to have another one. It's like crack. For and, and you know, and you know, some, some of some of them pee on you. Did you realize that? Do you R- know that? I,
0: I've got two dolls that each my six year old and my two year old each have one. Baby alive, and oh old, yeah, yeah, know. yeah, got a baby alive. Yeah, that that one, yeah, pees all
2: That's the one where you you mix up the food. Right And you feed it to them, and check this out. It comes out the other end yeah. it it really comes out the other end.
0: I don't know what's happening to this country. Jared Joel, do you think Corral and Tisdale both stay for the next four years?
2: No, no, I don't. I mean, I mean, rare is the quarterback that can start as a freshman that's going to be around as a fifth year senior. Um, so at, to answer your question, no, I don't. And, and the whole deal with quarterbacks nowadays, look, man, if, if you roll into a place and you're not gonna, gonna start, you're leaving. I mean, look, Justin Fields at Georgia, which sets off a chain reaction that Tate Martell leaves. And now he's in Miami, you know, that's, uh, that's just the game nowadays. Nobody's coming in to set two or three years and waiting their chances anymore. So, uh, the chances of Grant Tisdale and Matt Corral, playing four years at Ole Miss, slim to none. I mean, I'm just going to be honest about that. Beham Ole Miss Club, will Jalen Jones be ready for spring practice? No. No, absolutely not. I mean, th- he will not go through spring practice, uh, uh, and you shouldn't even expect that. No. My whole question
0: with Jalen Jones, when will he be ready, and what can really realistically be expected of him? We've seen this type of injury with we have. Webster. For example, yeah. like what what can you really expect from Jalen Jones now?
2: Well, I'll start off by answering that. You certainly hope for the best. You absolutely hope. For the best but you bring up Ken Webster anybody that saw Ken Webster play prior to his injury and then after his injury you certainly realize and understand he was not the same guy coming back ACL injuries are, are different at different positions and, and they're all uniquely different to the guys who suffer them in terms of how quickly they come back um, but when you're out there and you're asked to play on an island at a cornerback position or even out there as a safety uh, there's so much change of direction and 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 the way you have to use Use that change of direction with a repaired knee it makes it a mu- much more difficult than say if you were a alignment lineman uh, that uh, that is coming back or even a running back to that extent uh, such as Devon Penniman, because you're you're kind of dictating the change of direction as a defensive back, uh, you're, you're mirroring change of direction. And I, I think that all ties in together right there. Again, you certainly hope Jalen Jones is going to be well come this fall. But as far as spring practice goes, no, you're not going to see Jalen Jones on the field.
0: What about Devon Peniman? Where is he now?
2: Yeah, you know, I think he's OK. Um You know, he was involved in some indie drills during practice last fall. I'm anxious to see him in live contact action this spring, as is everyone else, because really you won't get an accurate read until you see that. And again, I'm cautioning you about knee injuries is that, you know, those things – you know often are not where they are when you think you're back in other words it may take it may take another 6 weeks another 12 weeks another 24 weeks for that thing to really start firing the way it's supposed to be firing even after your quote Unquote, back from that knee injury. So whatever you see out of Devon Peniman this spring might not be the same guy that that rolls into fall camp. He may be that much better by then. But uh, I'm anxious to see him. Uh, he should be. Uh, I mean, they should be ready to unleash him for some contact this spring.
0: B.J. Smith, my buddy B.J. Smith. Did Ole Miss fans in the country get caught up in the hype? A 20-point blowout on the road in Tuscaloosa. Is not really the sign of a top-tier team, is it? Or am I being too harsh, one and two in the last seven days? You're being too harsh. You're being too harsh. That's the first game all year that they played that bad. And every team has one of those types of games. Now, if they follow that up with a poor performance against Iowa State, then there's going to be a real problem. But caught up in the hype, no. How, how could you get caught up in the hype of a team that was picked in the preseason to finish last and jumps out to a 13-2 and record? And they didn't just do it by beating cupcakes. They did it by beating a Baylor, by beating a number 14 or whatever it was, Auburn, and the number 15 ranked or whatever it was against Mississippi State. Now, Auburn is not winning games like many thought that they would, meaning that maybe they weren't a top 15 team when Ole Miss played them. But at the time, they were. And almost won that game. You can't re- take that away from them. Same thing with beating a quality team in San Diego or uh, the, building this strong run in the non-con. Ole Miss has won no more than 10. I mean, has won 10 games, gone on a 10-game winning streak one time in the last five years. That's not something to get caught up in the hype about. Yes, they're one and two in the last seven days, but it, it's by s- many different developments coming to the surface. Like Devontae Shuler getting hurt, you can't predict that. So if you'd have told me, and I wrote this, and you read this, David, in my uh, game store, I think it was two weeks ago, I said, look, to me, Devontae Shuler is the most irreplaceable player on the roster. Franco Miller is out for the year. They have no one that can replace or duplicate his production. Well, so far in two games, once it became known that he had a stress fracture in his foot, they've played okay really well against Arkansas but then play poorly against Alabama so Devontae Shuler getting hurt changes things completely you know that Blake Kinson and KJ Buffett are not going to be great all year they're freshmen they're going to hit the wall every freshman does there's no freshman that doesn't have a stretch of tough play and Blake Kinson, after scoring 26 against Mississippi State he struggled a little bit sure but he's going to play better. So is K.J. And They're going to get better. They're going to get their second win and play better. Dominical and Olenichek has been a revelation, but he got absolutely obliterated against Alabama. Athletic teams are always going to give Ole Miss trouble. But you knew that. To get swept up in the hype would mean that this team came in with expectations and you thought, oh, here they are. They're fulfilling those expectations. This is a free shot for Ole Miss. And I know no fan wants to hear that. You want to see them make the NCAA tournament. But I, I sat down with Kermit Davis in the preseason. I said, I think you got – uh, an over-under set at 17.5 wins. He said, I'd take 17 wins right now. But And he, he said it before in press conference settings that they were losing 44-17 to 17 in Canada. If you'd have told him that they'd be, at this point right now, 13 games to play, you're going to have 14 wins. He, he would have taken it 100 times out of 100. There's no way to get swept up in the hype when a team plays well in surprises. And they earned that ranking by beating, at the time, top, two top 15 teams. So, no, I, I don't think that's the case. I think that's too harsh now it could fall apart and they're as i've mentioned a number of times now teetering this is probably the most they've teetered all year but give them the benefit of the doubt right now if they struggle on saturday we'll have another conversation on monday or tuesday but right now no i think i think that's too harsh a lot of game of thrones questions for all of you that had game of thrones questions don't worry we're getting to them. The night is dark and full of spoilers is coming up with Maester Daniel. It's 40 minutes of Game of Thrones. So once once David and I finish up with all the Ole Miss mailbag questions, then we enter into the night is dark and full of spoilers. 40 minutes uninterrupted of Game of Thrones talk. So coming up in just a second. Jordan Bowers, any names popping up for graduate transfer quarterbacks Ole Miss might be in on?
2: That is a, uh, that is a very good question. Um, yeah. Yeah. To be honest with you now and, and being in on is relatively speaking. Okay. Um, I don't know to the extent and I, you know, if I don't know something, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. I'm not going to make it up. Um, but, um, yeah. Uh, if you want to look at somebody right now that I think Ole Miss may have an eye peeled on, check out Braxton Burmeister. Uh, he's in the transfer portal from the university of Oregon. He's a San Diego, California native. Um, he is a dual threat guy, and he is leaving the Oregon Ducks. And uh, I know Rich Rodriguez is at very – at the very least uh, interested. And and to the extent of that interest, the depth of that interest, I don't know. But again, Braxton Burmeister, if you're looking for a conspiracy theories involving quarterbacks in Ole Miss, check that name out, Braxton Burmeister.
0: Forest Crumby, if you had to keep a mustache or a goatee for a whole year, which would you choose? I am going to take myself out of answering this question because I cannot <laughs> grow competent facial hair. So you can. You've done it before. Yeah, mustache or goatee for a whole year?
2: This is what I love doing. Okay, you know, so I, uh, oftentimes I'm wearing a full beard. All right. So, but but every now and then it just gets. A little too long, a little unmanageable. I'm not the guy that's going to go, OK, I'm going to trim this thing down. I just take it all off. I take it off in stages, and I like to freak my wife out. So I'll take it down to a goatee. What do you think, honey? No, that's horrible. No one sh- should like goatees. My suck. <laughs> goatees suck. And look, man, I'll shave it down to a 1970s like Starsky and Hutch mustache. Yeah, yeah. See, um, that has personality. Yeah, that sticks out. That's, a ta- and, that's a talking and, point, right? And I like it, man, but my wife frickin' hates me in a mustache. So it stays on about five minutes. I walk through the house, kind of antagonize her with it. Then I go back there and get the razor and then just cut it all off. Uh, if you're a college you student know,
0: listening to this— You walk into the bar with a goatee, everyone's going to take you serious as a doucher, okay? But if you walk into the bar with a handlebar mustache, girls are going to first think, oh, this is a guy who's funny. He, you know, he <laughs> doesn't take himself too seriously. You can play it off. People people respond to that. They laugh, but they're laughing with you, not at you, if you have a handlebar, handlebar mustache, because no one's going to take you seriously. If you're wearing uh-huh. a goatee, they can't distinguish you from the next goatee walking doucher. Not to say everyone that wears a goatee is a doucher, but I'm just saying, if I'm going to do facial hair, I can't. I'm the biggest doucher out there. I have no uh, ability to grow facial I, hair. I,
2: I could never be friends with a guy that had a handlebar mustache. It'd be hilarious. You know, I just I, I don't I don't know about that. Well, the Starsky and Hutch mustache well, oh, is like a porn stash. Yeah, you walk into the bar with that, and they're probably thinking you've got a white cargo van outside with you know some chains in the back. Or yeah, something. you got the furry carpet. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But when I when I shave my beard, man, I I, I do. I, I look like I'm ten years younger, but at the same time, I look like I'm ten pounds heavier. <laughs> So, you know, it's a, it's a no-win situation. And the whole goatee thing for me, everything around my mouth now grows in white. So uh, Only that, a few people can truly pull off a goatee. My dad pulls off a goatee.
0: But I think when you're older, you can pull it off better. You get that little bit of white in your goatee. I don't know. There's something
2: wiser about that to me. Yeah, if a college like student's
0: it, got though. a goatee, uh, just I'm not for it. I, I, can't, I can't do it.
2: Uh, it's May- Maynard, Maynard Krebs, Maynard Krebs or whatever his name was. Dobie Gillis. I don't know. Porn stash Ron
0: Jeremy, remember this, breaking news, breaking news. <laughs> David Johnson likes to wear his mustache like Ron Jeremy. There you only,
2: for, only for five minutes, though, and then it has to has to go off at that time. Let's move on. I love that your wife hates you in a mustache. That makes me Hates, hates me in a mustache, it. man. I freak her out when I'm in a mustache, and I actually like it. So uh, anyway,
0: uh, let's no, move he, on. Yes, moving on. Diddy Smith. Why do head coaches in basketball wait till two minutes before tip tip-off to make their appearance? I've always wondered. I, I didn't know
2: they did that. Did you? Uh, do they do that? I I've never noticed that. I neither. Um, why do basketball coaches feel the need to wear a coat and tie?
0: I asked that exact same question over the weekend. I swear to God, I did. Well, I don't did you get, get an answer. No. I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't get why they wear coats and ties. If you're and they all end up sweating through their dress shirt and there's nothing worse. Like when you're in Sunday school or a wedding and you're maybe it's an outdoor wedding in June and you're in your suit and you're just sweating profusely, right? And it becomes this see through shirt. And let's be honest, nobody wants to see Ben Garrett in a see through shirt. It's the worst. So, and you're always going to sweat profusely coaching as a basketball coach. Why would you wear that? There's this great picture of Kermit Davis after they beat Auburn. And he's got his hands in the air just celebrating with the fans. But the sides of the, to the sides of them were just covered in sweat. It, 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 come on. Why, why do you do this? Why can't they just wear polos?
2: I mean, football coaches just wear polos. Yeah, I, I, you know, back in the in the day, though, uh, but, I but guess think about before, this real quick. If a football coach walked out in a full suit and tie, everyone would go, "What is he doing?" Well, well they used to. I mean, John Vol coached. Yeah, Barry Bryant did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that Tom was Landry did. That was the thing, man. Uh, but uh, I, I just, I've never, I, I've never understood that. Even at the high school level, you go and cover some of these high school basketball games, like I did for years and years, and. You know, you walk in there and I mean, you know, the coach is who's, who's who's making at the time was probably making thirty five K a year coaching. You know, high school basketball's got a thousand dollar suit on. I just I, and if I had a thousand dollar suit on a thirty-five thousand dollar salary, I damn sure wouldn't wear it in a situation where I may blow out <laughs> my pants or something, you know. I I just I've never understood it.
0: I don't I mean, either. And that's why well, like I Bob Knight, no one likes Bob Knight really personally, but he had it right. He had the He, did, he yeah. had the best. And Bob yeah. Huggins, Bob Huggins doesn't wear a suit. Bob that's Huggins right. wears the best.
2: That's right, man. And, and then, you know, we can even get deeper is why do uh, baseball coaches wear uniforms?
0: Now, that is a can of worms that if you open with me, I won't stop. It's absurd. There was nothing is, more absurd it? than Bobby Cox wearing a uniform and cleats in the dugout. Right,
2: I'll right. never understand it. Like Bobby's 70 year old ass was about to run down to first. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I haven't understood that either. Things we accept in society that we really don't think about until we think about. That's what if a baseball does. manager was dressed
0: in a suit and tie, <laughs> everyone would go, "What is he doing?" I,
2: I, can you imagine Matt Luke leading the Ole Miss football team out on the field in shoulder pads and helmets? I, I mean, come on! I, I just don't get it, man. I, I don't. I don't. I don't understand. Ooh, I don't understand why to, every, I mean, you're out there
0: in September and it's scorching hot in the SEC in football. If I were a coach, I would have on a polo, some shorts, and some shoes and a hat. You're coaching football. In high school football, you see assistant coaches in a polo, untucked, with shorts on, shoes, a backwards hat, and the headphones on. Why can't that yeah,
2: yeah. graduate to college? Look, I, I I don't know. I think the football coaches, out of all of them, have it have it right. At least they're not wearing suits and they're not wearing uniforms. Yeah. But, uh,
0: they're the closest thing to normal of any of the sports.
2: Yeah, I, I just... I just don't get it, man. I, I mean, and the whole uniform thing. I mean, What if Kermit Davis came out in a pair of shorts and, 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 and a jersey? See,
0: I, I coached my daughter's t-ball team. This is a terrible example. But I was the coach of my daughter's t-ball team. They handed out the jersey. They handed out the visor. I put on the visor because I like to wear visors. But I never thought to put on the JME jersey shirt. Never thought to do that. I put on what I thought was comfortable because I'm out in the scorching hot. So I wore a t-shirt and some shorts, and I coached them. When did coaching become something you dress for like you're going to Sunday school? I'll never get it. And I'll never get why baseball managers or softball managers feel the need to. Like Mike Smith doesn't dress up as a softball player.
2: No. You, you see, okay, there's a guy that's got it right. I mean, he's yes. coaching out there in a visor, a pair of khaki shorts, and a polo. Yes. That's uh, the I, uniform. And that's what softball coaches do. Softball coaches have this right. I mean, I couldn't imagine Mike out there in these new powder blue pinstriped uh, – Uniforms that are pretty snazzy that the softball team is going to wear this year. Uh, no. I mean, no. so I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, We've quest- gone down the
0: rabbit hole. I'm sorry. We,
2: we're, we're, in the, we're in the hole. We're in the hole. We need <sighs> to get out.
0: Who doesn't want a friendly neighborhood pharmacy? Fortunately for my Oxford people out there, or even those who live in surrounding towns and counties like me, Chinese Pharmacy is just that. Brent Smith and family are passionate supporters of Ole Miss Athletics, seasoned ticket holders, vault society members, but more importantly, Chaney's is a locally owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years, and they've progressively stayed current with trends in pharmacy, business, and even with all they have to offer, including a very unique boutique-style gift and home selection. When you call Chaney's, you'll speak to a real person. Look, man, there's nothing that other places offer that Chaney's doesn't offer or hasn't been offering and delivering to you with a local flair for some 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. So give Cheney's a call for all your pharmaceutical needs at 662-234-7221 or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. And you can find them online at com. Cheney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. Dakota Wills, is it too soon to ask if the beginning of the basketball season was a fluke? I've already covered that. No,
3: no, no
0: regardless of what happens it's not a fluke they play the same brand of basketball every single game outside of Alabama now does Alabama become the outlier or the new normal there are two seasons in basketball the season leading up to February and then the season after February going into March and what happens on the injury front what happens rotationally All kinds of different things play in. It's not a fluke how well they played in all the games they won in November, December, and January. You can't discount that. They won those games by playing the same brand of basketball. They are showing their warts because, A, their point guard, who they couldn't lose, is hurt. Franco Miller, his backup, is out for the year. Uh, Blake Henson and K.J. Buffin are two freshmen who were going to hit the wall every freshman in college. Basketball hits it in some form or fashion every single year every single team this was going to happen but they lost one game poorly it's not like every team out there outside of the dukes of the world play flawless basketball every i mean this is basketball you get blown out sometimes that's just what happens so the idea that now that they've lost to alabama it's a fluke i mean get out of here with that No, no offense to you dakota wills i i don't mean to disrespect you in that way i'm just saying like that's, that's, that's silly to me. That doesn't make any sense at all. Like, you're, you're completely discrediting the work they put into this point by saying it's potentially a fluke? No. No, there are two seasons of basketball, and so much goes into this as far as injuries and everything, especially when you've got a team like Ole Miss that could not afford an injury to one of its big three guards, could not do it, couldn't survive it. And it's so funny that now on January 25th, 24th, whenever you listen to this podcast, it's so funny that now that they've been successful, they are now a byproduct of their own success. To where, oh, the team that was picked to finish last in the preseason, in the SEC, is now a fluke because they
2: won fourteen games. What a, what? That's the uh, that's the world we live in nowadays. Well, I mean, that doesn't. Make no, I mean, any you sense, can be though. great on Tuesday and you can be a bum on Friday. That's just how. Uh, I, I, I blame social media. I blame most of the world's ills on social media. Oh, you're not going to get any argument from me on
0: that at all. There's,
2: there's just that we, we, we live now in a world full of critics with no accountability.
0: Well, see, my thing is, look, I, I make no secret of it. And I've talked to you about it before. I mean, uh, mental health issues have been something that run in my family. Depression, something running run in my family. Nothing is worse for your mental health than social media. Nothing. Oh, my God. It,
2: it, it's absolutely horrible. Um you know, and and, and it's removed, uh, and you see it in all walks of life, whether it be politics or sports or or, or whatever. I mean, man, if there's a a, a Twitter world for uh, you know to be weighed in on on a subject, I mean, I mean, you're going to get looted, you're going to get routed, you're going to get scalped, um, and it's and it's all coming from anonymous sources, and people get caught up in this social media stuff, and it's like their real world.
0: And uh, I mean, look man. look at this man, like. There was this girl. She called herself the bikini hiker, and her whole deal was she'd go in a bikini and hike these mountains or whatever, and be. Oh, I saw that hanging yeah. on the side of the mountain. Well, she died. She died. She fell, and all in the service of what likes. That's 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 that's, that's what I don't get. I, what what are we doing? And one thing that is really baffling to me. It's it's really it's one of my favorite jokes I've heard recently. It's from Norm Macdonald. He was on the last show that David Letterman ever did, and he did stand up. And he mentioned that like back in the day, (laughs) in the old, old days, like the Depression, whatever, your grandparents would have like one picture, right? They had that one framed photo of them back then to where you go, that's my grandfather or my grandmother, my grandfather. That was them. That's who they are. So you want to see my grandfather? Well, here he is. Think about what my kids are going to say. My kids' kids are going to say, oh, here's every picture of my grandfather and everything he did at every second of the day for his entire life. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, you're leaving it behind. I'm just thankful that we didn't have some of the social media devices and mechanisms that we have in this world today when I was a teenager. I'll just tell you that right
0: now. We're off topic. I'm sorry, but that's it. We don't have any more questions, so.
2: Well, good. We finished off that with a psycho babble uh, (laughs) attempt uh, at answering and solving the world's issues. And and, and look, that's what we
0: do on Talk of Champions. We solve issues. We talk like champions. Yeah, we solve the world's problems. (laughs) Is what we do. You know who solves? the problems of Westeros, Maester Daniel. And that's why it's time wow. to move on from this nonsense and go into what matters the most, the return of Game of Thrones with the night is dark and full of spoilers. Before yeah. we get to Maester Daniels, and, and if you have come <laughs> listening for Ole Miss stuff, it's over. You don't have to listen I, anymore.
2: I don't even know what that is, but yeah. uh, pardon me, fair sir, I'm pulling the rip cord right yeah, now. Yeah,
0: he's out. David is out, so you don't have to listen anymore if you're an old Miss person and just listening to Ole Miss stuff and answering questions. If you're a Game of Thrones person, though, Back by popular demand. It's the night is dark and full of spoilers. But first, David, thank you, man. We'll talk later, I guess, actually next week. Yeah, I'm going to seek counseling now. It's the night is dark and full of spoilers with Maester Daniel. This is Talk of Champions. I believe you might be missing the greater point of the show, Paladin Butters.
3: Yeah, I know. Winter is coming and there's dragons and zombies on the way. I'm pretty excited for that.
1: Broadcasting from the bowels of the Red Keep, a king's road away from a fallen Winterfell, and their wintry exile of Castle Black. You're listening to The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers with Maester Daniel and Ben of House Garrett, Lord of Oxford and Warden of North Mississippi and other things that sound cool and stuff. For well, the night is dark and full of- Spoilers, it's it's full of spoilers and stuff. the night is dark and full of- Spoilers! watching that show and i'm still waiting for the darn dragons
0: to show up and kick everyone's butts as promised this is the night is dark and full of spoilers i'm lord garrett of oxford whatever i called myself i don't remember he's maester daniel he's got all the information hey man how are you i am doing fantastic how are you doing no one cares to hear, hear us talk to each other and exchange pleasantries so we'll get right into it this is a Game of Thrones segment. You've reached the end of the podcast, talked about Old Miss for an hour. No more Old Miss from this point forward. There has been a calling for The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers because Game of Thrones returns in April and we haven't done one of these in a long, long time. It became a regular podcast segment on the old podcast, on this podcast, but Game of Thrones has been gone for a while, over a year at this point. It's coming back. Before we get to the questions, this is a mailbag edition of Talk of Champions. So by extension, a mailbag edition of The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers. But it's been a while. Catch us up. For those who maybe haven't done the rewatch yet, wh- where do you see the chess pieces right now? Where is everything lined up as far as the end game?
3: Well, I mean, immediately, like we talked about last time, with the wall falling finally after a whole millennia of standing, it's going to be uh, at Winterfell where it all started the very first time we ever saw these characters and the very first time that Jon Snow and the Stark children finally get their reunion plus a Targaryen to boot so that's where it's going to immediately fall is right there at the very beginning right where we right where we started the first season and of course I think they'll intersperse it with King's Landing, because you can't forget about Cersei and the threat in the south. But you can't you can't tease your audience for for two years and not deliver the goods. I mean, after you delay, 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 you even delay you know having uh, the announcement of when the last season was going to be. You can't you got to start the whole year off with a bang, especially because you're ending a story that really ends the story, I think, for the book readers, too. I think there's a large anticipation for the guys who have been following this series to get some closure with these characters because George is never going to finish those books. I mean, we can probably just go ahead and write that off at this point. Uh, But I think that those expectations are going to weigh on the two two screenwriters, and I think that they're going to have to immediately – give us the payoff that they've been working towards. And they did that some last year to mixed results, especially critically about people, the way pacing went. But I don't think pacing is going to be an issue anymore. This is what we've been working towards for all these years now. Okay.
0: There are questions to come, and I'll get to them. But
3: we haven't talked about the teaser
0: trailer and then the full-on trailer that have followed. And one thing that's abundantly clear to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, But it's obvious, at least, that they're teasing what is going to be tension between Sansa and John and Daenerys Targaryen. That's going to happen. My question is, you're going to have this whole redemptive arc for Sansa and put her in this position of power only to make her a pseudo-villain in the path of a Jon Snow to the Iron Throne? I hope that's not the case, but do you get the same
3: vibe? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. I think you're correct. I think that... The same way that we talked about Arya and Sansa, that tension that tried they tried to build leading up to Littlefinger's death, um, it just is trite, really. It's so lazy. Day. It's so, and it, and it well it, you're still talking about guys who insert genital jokes and fart jokes to every single season. So it's um, they're not spectacular writers by any means, but it's such a Telegraphed, especially if you're going to use some wrestling lexicon, it's not even a believable turn because it contradicts her character and her character progression. She has been over and over and over again shown to be screwed over, and John has been her ally, and they just had this reconciliation. Mean, in, in season six, and that's that why was I'm, a beautiful that's, moment.
0: But that's why I'm kind of – hitting the pause button for a minute only because maybe it's a red herring of sorts. Uh, There's a chance so, here that it's just if they're smart,
3: the te- just something in the teaser to get us all. To...
0: Yeah. Get us, get everybody fired up. Mm-hmm, I agree. But the, but the deal is Sansa, if they follow character trajectory has grown so much, she's seen how the sausage is made for lack of a better expression. She should know, the chess moves on the table she should see them coming and she should know then that you want to be in the best position of power well the best position of power is not to turn against John and Daenerys maybe there's a little early I don't like this but she owns the north if you want to be in the best position of power your brother is is, has got the, the the queen of dragons in his bed I mean, th- th- you're in the perfect position of power. That's why I hit the pause button a little bit. But there is a little a little part of me that is worried that they're going to finally finish off what has been a disastrous, if you want to look at it overall, character art for Sansa. She should be it, the most intriguing character, and they've just beaten her to death over the course of however many seasons, where it's eight seasons now.
3: I think that they really tried to push her in a direction, and they uh, this has just showed how poor the storylines from the fourth and fifth book were, and also how the truncated seasons, the shortened seasons, they didn't get to develop her character adequately enough when it came to, you know, strong leadership. It was up and down. I mean, the whole fifth season, it was such a, I mean, with, with the, what she did with the Ramsey, the Ramsey storyline is one of the most, the biggest betrayals besides Dolphin. burning Shireen alive. It's just, it was poor. It's just it doesn't make her, her a stronger character, and they really don't know how to write female characters. I mean, they've written Daenerys in a way where they make her boring, and uh, and, and George is at fault there too. I mean, she's well. Now they've over. got her.
0: Now they got her leaning on a man when she was a strong, independent, yes, fierce absolutely. woman, and now they got her leaning on a man.
3: I hate. It. Well, uh, that's. I don't think that she's really leaning on a man. I just think that they've made Tyrion and Daenerys. And Jon Snow, the characters that we loved and cared about, they just kind of made them caricatures of themselves. Jon Snow has been able to rise above some of that, but Tyrion's not interesting anymore. That whole look of, so there's obviously going to be tension between Daenerys, Jon Snow, and, well, and you know, this is another intriguing thing they could explore, but, and we don't know, because I'm not reading spoilers, because why would I do that to myself, or would you do it? It's just not, it's pointless at this point. But, the reunion between Sansa and Tyrion, how he was the only man in this whole saga to treat her honorably and to treat her like a lady and to treat her, you know, he wasn't ever, he never forced herself into his bed. You know, she, he never forced her to come, you know, because he could have taken, he could have easily taken his husbandly rights. That would, you see, it proved that he was, you know, there could be, there could be some great tension there, but like you said, I think they're headed towards the, Maybe Tyrion and Sansa start doubting John and Daenerys because now they're now their gonna tell them that he's a Targaryen. I mean, that's the next the next thing is that that's the big reveal is that we know he's the target he's a Targaryen. But the whole world is about to find out that, you know, Aegon the lives and has a bigger claim to the throne than Daenerys. And if they try to make Sansa put a wedge in between. You know, it's just gonna it's it's gonna come fall flat. Because yeah, it's, the, it's gonna the, ring very hollow. Yeah, because her having brother. having having those two threats, having Cersei in the south, who's the Mad Queen, and then having the Night King break the wall, diminishes the big political interfamily family struggles that were intriguing in the earlier seasons.
0: Now they do have some character background to fall back on because Sansa was always dismissive of John in the first two seasons.
3: Absolutely. And, but so, they already, but see, they already had that moment over the yeah, beer, Yeah, you know, so it was, so we've gotten those good character moments and you can give us some, but to try to shoehorn in intrigue in the end game, just like they should with, I'm sorry to cross over nerd to me, but just like with the Avengers, you can't start inserting drama and tension. That's what, you know, you build up over a certain number of years the expectation. And they, you know, it's tough to deliver. Especially with all this just the way the Avengers did. It's hard to connect all these disparate storylines into one big storyline. I just don't think that, you know, Dan and D B can get it over the finish line without, you know, trying to have some interpersonal struggles. I think it's just one of the you know, and George you know, he, he's lost control of it too. So it's, it's a tough story to adapt. I'm not, I'm I'm giving them some leeway here, but if they go that direction, the way that you you alluded to, it's just, like you said, it just seems so lazy. And so it just, it's just low energy. I'm not going to enter
0: the season though, with um, a a cynical point of view. I'm going to believe that Th- that's more of, of throwing you off the scent than anything else. Maybe but, uh,
3: until. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, until you I, I, I'm see it. But it's just, it's just it's just hard to you've seen how they write. Yeah. You know, you, you, you called it immediately before the last season about the Aria Sansa drama. And you said you immediately said, I'm going to hate it. And I think we all agreed that you know at the end of the season that it was but and you know it gave It just
0: gave them something to do but it was it was mm-hmm, it was absolutely. worse than spinning wheels it was terrible it, it's it, the laziest form of writing for a television show, and far be it for me to act like I'm an expert on, on how to write television, but it seems, at least in my opinion, that the laziest way to go is to create and manufacture drama that isn't there. And yes. They had nothing to do. They wanted to say, okay, we got Ari and Sansa over here. Okay, they're taken care of. Now let's go to the big stuff. They didn't w- weave them in in a way that would have made them interesting. So last last year, in, Nor- in um, or a year before last, actually, Winterfell was the most boring place to go if Jon wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Littlefinger was disposable. I mean that's the mo- one of the most interesting characters in the books and most certainly in the early seasons of the television show and yet Littlefinger was cast aside as a bit player and that sucks. And th- and that's why I can kind of see Tyrion taking on a similar role as Littlefinger, replacing him effectively as the Littlefinger to Sansa as Littlefinger was to Sansa a year and a half ago. That would just be a complete disservice to the character. But again, I'm not going to be cynical about it because there's so much to get to. We only have a limited amount of time here. So before we get to the questions, there are going to be some pretty incredible reunions. This is the final season. You know that Arya and Jon are going to finally see each other again. Is that your most anticipated reunion? It's mine. Or is there another one out there that you look most forward to
3: seeing? I'm looking forward to that that whole Winterfell group that whole interaction because like you said they do have seven seasons of character backstory six if you don't count you know the seventh season which was a lot of more action than people were used to but you have all those moments especially you know the the way Tyrion and Jon bonded immediately you know in the very first seasons you got Sansa and Tyrion you got Arya getting you know the the whole needle exchange and the way that Arya, and it, it's not so much pronounced in the show as it was in the books about how much Arya is like Jon Snow's mother, like Liana. And so that scene from the trailer where they're all in the crypts, and you know she's still holding the flower from Robert, and it's so how good. they're looking. It's and, and see that's the type of thing that needs to be tied that needs to be tied up, I mean, you know. I, and so I agree, it's gonna be it's gonna be great seeing them together. And I hope they don't try to do understated because, you know, with the scene uh the meeting at Castle Black between John and R and Sansa, that was one of those that uh that really resonated with people. And it was a beautiful scene, you know, that they, they, they do come through on big moments. And I think that you're right, that they're, you know, it just it's hard not to be cynical when they you know and just you know and george doesn't give them any help and it's so not hard
0: like, to stick the landing with a television so anyway so many uh, of your most your most popular or your favorite show out there fail to stick that landing and the worst example of that for me or the greatest example of that i guess is the better way to phrase it is the wonder years for me i'm not going to get into it but that one didn't stick the landing for me or on the flip side of that the wire completely stuck it. and so did the sopranos but that's for another day um which major character death do you think is coming first? Because my theory is Cersei's not going to last two episodes. I think she's the first one that's gone. It clears the deck of that, the thread of that, ties to that up loosely. And then you can push forward to what is going to be the great battle with the White Walkers. I, I think that Cersei has to go first before you can get there. That's why I think she's gone. Of all the major characters, she's gone first.
3: Uh, you know, I would agree with that. I just don't know. Lena Headey has been such a major part of their strategy when it came to pacing and, and the way that episodes are structured and the way they have her set up that there's going to be some interpersonal, like the Jamie story, the, her, her, the dynamic between her and Jamie, cause that's another one of the very, the very first things that sets off the Lannister and Stark war is brand being pushed from the tower that's another thing that hasn't been addressed. Another thing that brand is holding onto brand is the one that can really drive the story in, in interesting directions. And, uh, it's unfortunate that they have such a, a poor actor, um, playing brand, but he, he, can be, you know, the driver of the mystical, you know, aspect and, and the, and the basically ex, be the exposition for this season. And, uh, but, with the deaths, I hope they don't do, you know, and just, they kill somebody just to kill somebody. I hope they do it in a way that it, they earn the death. Does that make sense? Instead of, like, Barristan, who was just replaced because Tyrion, you know, Tyrion needed a spot, or Varys needed a spot. I hope they don't just kill them just to clear the the deck from nine to ten main characters, you know, whittle them down to three or four just to do it. Because that's not, that the audience is... Too invested in these characters now, to to get quick deaths, just to kill them. What well, do you think? There's going to be an early significant death, though. Yes, I think so. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be one of the Stark children. I think they're going to save if if one of the Starks die and one of the Targaryens die. It'll be one of those that they really, um, they really sell and, and let and make worth our while. Really. Okay.
0: Well, you brought up Bran, and that immediately takes us into the mailbag questions. That's been the theme of this talk of champions edition. And now we've got to enter that realm in the night is dark and full of spoilers. Corey Clark asks, what are the chances that Bran Stark and the night King are actually the same person in different times at the same time?
3: Uh, that would, uh, that was one of, that's one of the main things that I'm sure that was about to get brought up. If that's another way that they, if they go towards, you know, time is this giant loop and that Brand starts over as the Night King, it's another one of those just lazy writing, and it would cheapen the death. Why? One of the best, because it cheapens the death of Hodor immediately, because Bran should have learned his lesson immediately, because he killed uh, his protector. He and, and the hold the door moment was one of those that was heartbreaking, but it was earned. It was one of those moments that, felt that it was one of those deaths that you it all i mean tell me you weren't devastated tell me we didn't have that conversation about how awful that and how it stayed with you for the whole week after and just him saying hold the door over and over again and the cut to the credits that is great television
0: yeah but from a sci-fi point of view it would be kind of fun
3: it's fun it's fun but it it just again it it cheapens the storytelling i think it makes it It's like an M night Shyamalan twist. It it just, it is one of those that there's a certain amount of things that sci-fi and fantasy fans will accept. And when you try to ground and I understand we're talking about dragons and ice zombies in which never, we never need to forget that. But when you establish certain rules in your universe and then you make it about time travel, it's what happened. It will have the same thing that happened to Lost. You start introducing time travel, and it, unless you're Back to the Future, it's very, very difficult to make that dramatic and to use that as a as a storytelling device.
0: Look, I went just got done with a complete rewatch of Lost. We don't need to get into that. If I open that can of worms, exactly. I'll well, never I mean, stop. we you know, I understand,
3: but you get you get one, yeah. Get I'm going right. Yeah. Is
0: there any possibility, though, that it could happen just as far Absolutely. as you've read all the books? Yes. When you Read George R. R. Martin and the trajectory of where he was going with different narrative arcs, which he's never going to finish, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you, you've you called pretty much every single move. You're the one that said on this show that the wall was going to come down. That was going to be the, the big moment in the finale. You called that before the season even started. Uh, you predicted everything to do with John and Daenerys. We hadn't really missed, or you haven't missed. I haven't really predicted all that much outside of a few things. So is there anything from a book standpoint, any threads out there that could lead to that brand being the night king.
3: Yeah. And, and there's, you know, they obviously recast someone who looks almost exactly like brand does. They, uh, have shown, you know, the time travel and him being affected, like him even being able to talk to his father, you know, when, when Ned turns around at the tower of joy. So they've been hinting at it. I just, it's one of those, Again, it would just cheapen Brand's character. In the books, it's it's easier because it's through internal monologue to you know understand the magical aspects, especially of the three-eyed raven and um, what Brendan Rivers, you know, that whole storyline. And that that's ancient history to a lot of the current the current storyline. But George has written three, excuse me, I'm sorry, three you know, prequel books that deal with the Targaryen dynasty and the Blackfyre rebellions and how bastardy and, and the Black Dragon, how it all ties into the current storyline. So having Bloodraven be his mentor was, again, it's one of those things that television, it's hard to, and they had to shorten that storyline, but it it could happen in the books, but it's more set up along the lines of, the Three-Eyed Raven being the great keeper of, you know, he's the one who holds back the evil of what the White Walkers represent and what the others represent. And so I don't – in the books, there's no real scene or real – and there's not a a storyline that leads to that. I mean, I'm sure if you went and dug through Alt-Shift-X videos on YouTube, if you really want a more in-depth Those explanation are the best, of the book – then you can you can get on there, I'm sure he probably has one that'll that lot ties it better, but there's not one that's a real that gives you any feel that it's gonna be about brand basically using riffs in time like the girl from Bioshock Infinite to affect the timeline and could Brand was, be brand the builder he's absolutely. the one that rebuilds that's the a, wall and it, we could see that too, especially they're doing if they're doing the age of heroes. Prequel, we could certainly see that's the way they tie it in that he's the one who goes back in time to build the wall. And that would, that, you know what? I, him being alone, rebuilding the wall by himself as the lone wolf is a much more satisfactory arc. I yeah, guess very for me. poignant, too. Poignant, absolutely. Uh, so that's this, the perfect word to describe it. And, you know, I think that's a lot better than him being the big bad guy. Because, you know, it's a tragic mistake by the children of the Force who were, you know, that would just mean the whole thing is luck and bad about bad luck. So I just, you know, I I hope not is the is, I guess, my final verdict.
0: JT Blake, much like the witch's prophecy about Cersei's children, will all three of Daenerys' dragons be killed or will any survive?
3: Yes, there'll be at least one survive. But I think that another, I think the two, I think the twin dragons, the the Viserian and um, the the, I guess the, whatever we call the Night King's dragon. I think that would be Viserion. I think it might be the one he killed. But then that's the one that's named after her brother, ironically. So uh, and then Rhaegal, I think is, you know, obviously John's going to be riding the dragon named after his father and then Dro- I think Drogon is the one he's she's he's the one that, that Danny rides and the one that
0: yeah has yeah
3: and he's Balerion the Black Dread if they, that's that's the Aegon the Conqueror's dragon he was the largest dragon to ever live he's the 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 big gigantic dragon skull that you see in the where they keep the Targaryen dragons they all their their uh, uh in the museum basically at the bottom of King's Landing and so I think that's going to be – he's going to be – if there's one that's going to survive, it's easily going to be him. But I think they'll have Rhaegal and the Night King and the Night King's dragon, Viserion. I think they'll both kill each other. I think I think Drogon is a lock to live.
0: And that, that kind of brings up why I'm so – not scared, but certainly not encouraged by how Beanoff and Weiss will wrap this up because everyone pointed to – the big battle moment last year, not battle of the bastards. I'm talking about going out there fighting the zombies and the ice dragon comes. The whole The stand plan, and the
3: stand the stand at the hill.
0: The whole plan was hackneyed and terrible. It's it's such a completely flawed and idiotic plan. Either Jon Snow is the dumbest leader of all leaders to ever exist, or we're supposed to assume that this is a good idea. No one in their right mind would think it's a good idea. And the fact that they use that, they have to go get a weight and bring it back to Cersei to show her that these are real and to go out on a suicide mission only to end up in a place in which the dragon could end up in the hands of the Night King. That is why I am so down on whether or not they can wrap this up the right way. Because if those are the loops in which you tie (laughs) to wrap this thing up you're off to a really bad start like i don't even care about the time jumps i'm okay with it mm -hmm. like i was okay with the time jumps it's the laziness i I don't want to be repetitive but just the laziness in which they moved these different characters into places that fit the story they're trying to tell the rush nature of that not the travel so much as the rush nature of just trying to tie the story up after so many years of trying to wait for george r martin to finish that's what uh, gives me pause.
3: Absolutely. And uh, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it seems like that um, once the material from the 4th and 5th book, and they gave him a chance, and of course he didn't finish, um, which was eight years ago now almost. And uh, it's not it's not Dane and DB's fault. They're trying to adapt the incomplete story from really probably less than any kind of outline or and notes. And they
0: know where all of the – outcomes are going to be they know what all of those outcomes are going to be they know where but they, gonna, but, where see, but
3: George even admits that those are changing all the, that he just whenever he I guess his writing you know his genius comes from they just these the way that these characters think and the way these characters and he's he's obviously let his he needs an editor very badly like every writer at some point needs somebody to rein him in he needs to have somebody well that's that has far since passed, but they and they were trying and look, to their credit, they made the scene with the dragon coming over the head a interesting thing, which again, like you said, they it was hackneyed the way they put together the pieces. Even though the band that went north with all those guys, I wouldn't have the the, the dialogue between them is great. Like you said, it's it's those character interactions that we get, but them moving into place was a you know was was hackneyed. And look, they had some character motivations. Like I, I like I said, the, the last time, the Stark family has an intense fatalism about them. The whole their word, their family words, the way they interact with other families, the way that their entire family history is about is about that. Is about trying to fight the inevitable, which is death, which is what the Night King represents. And so if you make it brand The Night King, just to tie it back to the first question, it literally goes against what the Starks stand for. They're the the Watchers on the wall. They're the ones who protect the North and fight the evil, the the, the walking dead. And to make Bran that leader after the sacrifice of Ned, after his brothers. Yeah, that's what
0: I was about to say. Like it would cheapen. Even it, Ned's it, seems death, it just right? it just
3: makes it just like you said. It the it, most
0: noble guy in the whole damn realm. Mm-hmm. Ned Stark, the, guy,
3: the one, the one yeah. honest person in the entire kingdom.
0: That every fan of the show, there is no negative person toward Ned Stark. Everybody has yes, their issues. The with only, everybody the else. The only lie yeah. he
3: had to tell was to save his nephew. The one lie he would he would the, the one time he wouldn't tell his wife the truth.
0: Okay, Hunter at Real Dan Wolkin. That's great. What a. Great <laughs> Oh, Kudos
3: good. to that guy.
0: I really think Arya ends up taking off a many-faced god mask at the end and is sitting on the Iron Throne. I love this, but it's not going to happen. She gives a smirk as the camera pans away in dramatic
3: fashion. Um, I would, I endorse it. I'm okay with that. But never going to happen, though. Never going to happen. I think Arya dies. Oh, no. No. Yes. Mm. Why, how? Okay, how and why? She's, she's death personified. We talked about it a oh, couple seasons yeah. ago. Yeah. And her entire arc, even in the books. And I think that's really, you know, I think her and Sansa's ends are both tragic in the book. I've probably expounded on that multiple times.
0: And How Arya is the embodiment of what the show version of Lady Stoneheart is in the books. Like she's taken on yes. many different characters. And Lady Stoneheart yes. was dead, a dead Catelyn come back to life to avenge all of those that were involved with the Red Wedding. So Arya has taken on that. She, You saw it in the very first scene to open last season she, she is which is
3: girl which is again one of those watershed moments that they when they hit the right notes having her as walter frey and and the guy who played walter frey who's, who's the janitor from uh harry potter harry potter he's you know he's legit and so that like that whole scene still it's legendary and so, so I, I would i would be okay with it. Just how, she's how does got she a, die then With you know, it makes me think that they're gonna. I think she, uh, honestly, she's one of the ones that I would have put in the death column, but now I'm starting to waver because she has the dragon glass dagger, and when she fought Brienne, you saw how good she was with it. So, and I think they're gonna have a really tough time killing the women in this show. I really do, and it's not just because of the politics behind it, but also they have made, like you said, they combine so many characters that. It would just cheapen something. Like you know, you you've invested so much time in Ori, and she's gone through this struggle, and she's seen her dad die. She was the one they focused on in the death scene at the in at at Baylor episode nine, first season. Which so, I wonder
0: would be in a way like when in the Departed, Scorsese. Every time somebody was marked for death, there would be some X in the scene. Like now, you wouldn't see a. A drawn-out X. It'd be the X of maybe some beams on a window or something like that. To where the you know Weiss and uh, Beinnoff are showing you when they're showing Arya at this death, and they've shown her in other death circumstances. Like originally, when the Hound died, even though we're fully expect to get um, Bowl this year, but she was always involved in these marquee deaths. Or for example, at the end of the Red Wedding, whose face did they focus on when Rob, as in the books, was the decapitated body of Rob with his direwolf's head sewed onto mm-hmm. his body. It's Arya. She's involved in all of this. Maybe it's like one of those X marks in terms of Arya is marked for death, even though yes. she's death personified, but I'm just curious how she would
3: die. Uh, you know, you got, um, Cersei who certainly wants her dead. You have, um, any number of Winterfell intrigues was like, you know, I hope they don't try to make Arya, have any type of drama after the last year. I mean, enough, enough with the the Stark children, you know, having this beef. I mean, we have the whole, when you broke up the Stark family was how the drama started in the first place. We got to have the conflict resolution and they have been through enough, the efforts like you previously mentioned to try to make them. Dislike one another and to sow fractious discord amongst them—it's cheap put it. And you know, and Arya—if Arya dies, saving the pack—that's what another thing. She was she was the one that wanted to keep the pack together. That was her whole entire—that's her entire being—is to get her pack back together. And and Nymeria represents that in the books, especially
0: because I I completely buy the theory out there, and that's why. My original shock, I forgot that my theory, as I talked about on this podcast two years ago almost, was that Arya is going to die and she's going to warg into Nymeria and she's going to have that sense of belonging for the remainder of her life that she just had been searching for over the course yes. of all these books. So yeah, Arya is going to die in some noble way. And then war- if they warg her into Nymeria, because they've totally d- done a disservice to these direwolves who are so important in the books. I've, I've only read one and a half, two, two books now. They're such a
3: chore. You know me. I'm not a huge book reader. I get it. And the writing style is... um, tough. So Yeah, it's very hard to get used to.
0: But that would would be a very satisfying, if bittersweet and tragic ending for Arya, she would still get that sense of belonging that she's so been searching for. Okay, Hunter, Hunter Kenneberg. Who do you want to be on the Iron Throne? And who do you think will actually be on the Iron Throne at the end of Game of Thrones? I want... Daenerys on the Iron Throne, but I think this is just dust. This is Jon Snow's story, and that's why I I, think he's destined to be there.
3: Well, one of the two of them is going to bite the dust. They just, you know, they can't. They can't both survive. No, 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 no fairytale endings. I agree that Jon Snow is the song of ice and fire. That's his whole, you know, that he is the fulfillment of many years of prophecy. But... I would not be disappointed if it's Daenerys because that was her, you know, she's the, she's the first character and, and she makes the journey from hopeless, helpless teenager to queen, queen of her dreams. The dream her brother put in her head when she was just an infant girl and she was Daenerys Stormborn, born in the midst of the worst storm to hit Westeros. You know, she is born under, you know, in extreme stress and circumstances, thrown into a foreign land where her and her brother passed back and forth, like the kings of England of old that would be pretenders to the English throne would be sheltered in France, except they're sheltered amongst a bunch of savages, like the Dothraki. And she conquers them and she conquers most of Essos. Defeats the slave trade, only to die, and you know, so tantalizingly close. That's a poetic ending. That's a that's an ending that I think would leave a lot of people dissatisfied. This, but the same with Jon Snow. You know, we just got the reveal that he's the the one with progenitor. He's 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 the one with under Salic law would be the heir to the throne of the legitimate throne. Her brother's her brother's son. And uh, I think that if I, – I just don't see a scenario where they kill one and leave the other alive. I think they either both die. I would lean towards that more than any of the rest of them. Then they both live because I think their child, the child that they conceived on the boat, would be the one.
0: We don't have much time left, and there, we're going to do more of these segments because it's getting close. It's too close. Mm-hmm. And
3: then once the episodes start
0: happening – it's going to become a regular thing. I mean, this is the last time we'll get to do these things. This is, this is the end. This is the end. This, this is the end. end. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do these, but really quickly. Early, 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 way too early predictions for major developments. Like you predicted the wall and the genre all these different things, the tower of joy, whatever. Give me the three or four biggest reveals you think are coming or biggest developments.
3: I think that Cersei somehow allies herself with the night King to keep herself alive. That's the big one. I think they'll try to keep under their belt, which is how I think the whole political intrigue at Winterfell happens. Um, How does she do that? though? I don't know. I I don't know. I I didn't see how they would get to, you know, a a really cool thing
0: would be like for her to be intercepted going uh, to meet the troops battle guys She bringing over from the, uh, where's she bringing them from?
3: the 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 Golden Company yeah the SF. Golden
0: Company are they from Marine or where, where are they from
3: no the Golden Company is a cell sword company they were yeah I know they were sellswords.
0: By, I, again I'm I'm a little gray it's all right. thought, yeah but they 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 were yeah. founded
3: by another one of the great bastards of Aegon the fourth and he was called Bittersteel and he was the direct rival of Bloodraven who became the three eyed Raven three eyed crow and he founded the golden company as they are the one company who doesn't break their contracts. And in the books they're headed over, they're already in Essos, especially in the preview chapters for the sixth uh, of the sets, uh, never dream of spring, which is and uh, a, a winds of winter, which are never coming. But if we get to winds of winter, one of them is the house of Martell, which is still alive in the books. Oh, that's good. The daughter, the daughter is going to meet Aegon, who has landed at, Storm's End which is where the the seat of House Baratheon and so he's, the Golden Company breaks the only contract they've ever broke with, the, with Volantis who is so afraid of Daenerys invading them that they break contract and they sail for Westeros and they land they land the invasion force and so Cersei in the books is going to be surrounded when she ends up taking over which I fully believe she will in the books too she'll See. get to be the queen but the uh but I think and I think they're going to be the her test. I think that somehow they'll get her and that army north faster. I think we'll have most of the action take place in the north because you just there's too much. There's too much happening. The Night King is the nuclear bomb. He's the the final answer. He's the big bad guy, and so that's where the focus has to be. Cersei becomes auxiliary at the end, but she has to be. I think that's why she has. They have to justify that million-dollar paycheck. Somehow. Yeah,
0: I think that it would be cool, and this is kind of getting to the point here, is that as she's going to meet the Golden Company or whatever, that once she meets them, they're surrounded by the Night King and his forces. They slaughter them all, and then she arises with blue eyes. That'd
3: be a really kind of cool thing for me. No, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah. you know that's, okay. that's something that would give us, um, that'd give us some intrigue.
0: Yeah, and then add more ammunition mm-hmm. to the Night King's forces. Okay, so that's one. Give me some others.
3: Um, I'm going to say all the Stark children. Obviously, one of the three that saw their statues in the crypts. One of those is going to come true, and I think it's going to be one of the girls, unfortunately, first. But um, uh, the, you know, the, those are the those are the ones that you need to watch. Obviously, that could be a, a big swerve. But I think that of the ones that, you know, you see there, one of them is definitely going to pass. We don't get all the Stark children to live at the end. Um, that'll be the second one. The third one is, uh, I, th- you know, the last two really are the one. I, th- this, uh, we're in new territory. They've gone so far past where they've called up completely to all the th- almost all the theories. Where this really is where they could get – Creative with some of the stuff, but I, you know I'm I'm looking forward to not knowing. I'm looking forward to not being able to tell you, hey, I already we already anticipated this, and we were able to see, you know, the, what their idea what ideas they had to surprise us. And but I did, this story was always going to be about the dragons and fighting the night king, and the political intrigue in the south and the fallout from the rest of the things in the South is largely irrelevant to me. And I'm I'm sure to you at the end of the day, because you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make, it doesn't make us excited we've already seen the, the, the uh, crown change hands so many times we've seen Cersei and then, you know, the Lannisters assert, these are their control. They have to get, he, she has to get her comeuppance too. She's blown up the church. She's, you know, slept with everybody in the kingdom to save her own soul. She militarized the Catholic church for lack of better analogy. She did all, and she bankrupted the king, the kingdom. Um, she killed her daughter-in-law and then with the second most powerful family that has the second largest army in the whole entire kingdom or the largest army now after all the wars, um, her best generals are dead, eaten by dragons and you have 100,000 Dothraki, and then I just don't see how she, you know... That's why I think that her, the big twist will be her somehow linking up with the Night King. Because that's the only way she stays alive. Is she's so desperate that she would stay with him.
0: All right, we gotta go. That's enough right. for one segment of The Night is Dark and Full of sports. I cool, say like 20 minutes, then we like 40. There's a lot to cover. Again? I have mm-hmm. a feeling that a few of the surprises that we're going to get here you and i are going to get on this horn if you will and be really pissed
3: off there there'll be something there'll be something that they do that's this as long not, as the uh, hound wins clagane ball i'm good i think that that's a pretty safe bet yeah i'm exci- i mean i'm excited to see how they use some of these auxiliary characters like you said the Hound and um and how they resolve you know Greg, uh, quiburn you know he's an extremely interesting character who's you know, hate the way he's portrayed he's a, the show. And in the books, but in, in the, the books are also, they give you a better idea of how, what his necromancy is like. And necromancy plays a huge part in the books as well. So I hope that we can get, if he can, that's why I, he's I more he's complicated gonna, than mad scientist guy. You know, I agree. And I think that they're going to be, but uh, the, with the show they have to telegraph it, you're, you're working with the television audience, just like with the Avengers having to telegraph the snap because you can't, Spring that on a bunch I w- of people. I will
0: not stand idly by and let you
3: shit over Infinity I didn't. War. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, okay. not, I'm just saying uh, you have to. You uh, have to. With the with the television audience, you have to. And with the movie audience, it's different than with the book audience, which you have little details that you can intersperse throughout multiple levels of storytelling. You have to be. You have to show them. It's hard to show subtlety in the movies and make twists Because. If, you know, if you don't, the audience doesn't believe it, if the audience doesn't accept it, like M. Night Shyamalan's twist, then you end up like lost chasing your own tail and you end up with a bunch of unfulfilled storylines and an unfulfilled fan base to the point where, you know, it ruins a guy's career almost uh, who, who quits social media because he can't handle the criticism of Not being able to wrap stuff up in a satisfactory, and then he just like Dave Lindelof is who I'm talking about, one of the writers lost since we're on it. But you know, that's for another podcast. It's just they need to keep it high and tight, and so throwing a bunch of extra, you know, stuff in there is just going to jumble. Like you said, it's not going to it's not going to be worth it. It's not going to they're not going to earn it.
0: He's Maester Daniel. I'm whatever I'm called. Thanks, man. We'll talk again. All right. Bye.